Hey, it's Mark. This week's series of mini episodes taped live at the health conference in Vegas continues with digital editor Jack O'Brien. Hi there and welcome to the MM&M podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien. I'm the digital editor at MM&M coming to you live from the health conference in lovely Las Vegas. My guest today is James Kugler. James, thanks for you for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. We were talking just before we got recording and I really wanted to start the conversation off. You have a non-traditional background as far as healthcare goes. So if you want to give us a walkthrough on that very briefly, your experiences, we can go from there. Absolutely. So I started actually wanting to be a musician and then that, that changed to science in high school and started doing some research in labs in Boston and then went to St. Louis to do genome sequencing, work there, uh, studied biomedical engineering, wanted to do an MD, PhD program uh, and kind of got tricked into joining Sigma Aldrich instead. Uh, and Sigma Aldrich is an interesting company. It sells anything that you need to do scientific research. So hundreds of thousands of reagents, everything from the enzymes that make electric eels electric to we're the only legal supplier of cocaine to every possible chemical thing that you could you could imagine in between. And we were a catalog company. We had a handbook that was kept in the archives of libraries as reference for, for different materials that you might use. And everything was about how do you make science faster? How do you hack away at these different pieces to enable scientists to, to focus on science? My biggest pet peeve is that when you want to be a scientist and you're in school and, and you're a kid and you're in science class, they tell you you have to be super patient, you know? And I feel like scientists should be the least patient people because so much of the hindrances are avoidable. And there were things that we really wanted to focus on removing. So whether it was planning an experiment and taking a few days to find the, the reagents you need for your recipe or waiting a couple of weeks to get you know, your dimethylformamide in to be able to finally run your experiment, these were the things we wanted to hack away at. So uh, we, we really focused on how do we improve content, how do we make it easy from a, a customer side uh, and, and enable this industry overall. Um, built massive data science capabilities. It turned out we could use a lot more compute for any of our recommendations than others could, contextualized in uh, the actual recipe, the experiments that were there. We grew the site from about two or 300 million in annual revenue to over a billion, and it was the, the largest in the industry. Uh, 2014 uh, came around, and Merck KGAA, comma Darmstadt, comma Germany, uh, bought us. Uh, they're not the, the U.S. company. It's the oldest pharma company in the world. It's 354 years old. Pharma is still one business. We also have a life science business where Sigma slotted into, and an electronics business. So uh, all of the display materials, the liquid crystals, are, are ours from some carrot research in the 50s that we forgot about, down to the chipset and all the materials and the chips are, are coming from us. So. We started doing a digital transformation um, at Merck overall that then led to us realizing there were some interesting problems in, in healthcare that we wanted to tackle. And after working through that, we built up EMD Digital that I'm now leading and started Syntropy, the joint venture with Palantir that we were here at, at Health talking about, as well as Athenia, which is focused on the semiconductor space and M-Trust, which looks at linking the physical and digital world in an immutable way. I feel like there are so many different tracks we could go down in terms of conversation, just given your experience. Let's go with Syntropy to start. Yeah. Give us a rundown. You said it's in a partnership with Palantir. I'm curious what sort of the goals or different uh, missions that you're pursuing in that sort of venture are. Absolutely. Our, our focus for the, for the venture has been really how do we make clinical data useful at, at research institutions, so academic medical centers? How can we enable secure collaboration in a way that's ethically sound, right? Um, 
Palantir is an interesting company. Most of the stuff that you read about them is not entirely what, what they do. There's no uh, spooky kind of like Wizard of Oz behind a curtain that's doing some magic AI thing. Um, what they actually do is, is very unsexy. And when we look at you know, how do you create value from data, you need four things, right? You need to have data. That data needs to be structured and usable. You can apply basic to advanced analytics to generate insights. And then someone needs to act uh, on that insight. And uh, Palantir is very much focused on the second. It's, it's how do you uh, allow people who understand the context of data to create pipelines to contextualize it and make it structured and usable in a way that cascades all of the security and governance from the source system. Um, it, it's really unsexy uh, and super important. Um, and they seem to be one of the only ones that's, that's hyper-focused in that area. That seems to really describe healthcare at large, I would say. And I, I'm really curious because you don't have that traditional, you know, healthcare veteran in it since you were 22 years old all the way through. When you come to a place like health and you have a lot of those veterans and lifers around, you know, what's your perception? What have you been seeing out here on the trade floor that's really caught your eye or any sort of trends or topics of that nature? I think one of the things that surprises me is how much health tech is trying to borrow from consumer tech in terms of business model, mm-hmm. right? The sense of let's give something away for free in exchange for commercial ownership of patient data, right? Um, it seems very odd to me because this is a, an industry that has, I think, three and a half trillion dollars of spend annually in the U.S. And it's not like there is this pressing need to give something away for free. And, and there's this spookiness behind like what's actually happening there. And I think through, from just like a human perspective also, like if you're going to your physician and uh, you're accepting the terms and conditions of your EHR, you're not necessarily thinking that you're giving away all of your, your data to a third party that you don't know and you don't know how they're going to be using it. Like that, there's something that seems off there. And so my, my angle in coming into these things is just how do you enable scientists and, and how do you focus on those really unsexy components and quality is like one of the, the most critical elements that creates reproducibility in science at large, right? Uh, in May of 1851, Emmanuel Merck actually put the first quality label on a bottle of reagents, right? And it sounds so simple, uh, but, but it's pretty radical because you had no reproducibility truly until you knew that that thing that you were using in your experiment was that thing. In healthcare, there's more data than you know anyone could fathom that's being generated at any point in time. But it's only useful if it's, if it's hyper-contextualized. And you can only trust it if you know where it came from and what happened to it. And so a lot of our work has been, how do we create this enabling foundational infrastructure that allows you to trace something back to source so that I know that this contextualized you know, patient information is one, totally protected, totally owned by the responsible parties, the institutions that are taking care of them, um, and is traceable back to that source system so that you can collaborate with someone else, not necessarily have to be exposed to anything, but know if you have to, you can audit back and see that it's traceable back to this EHR, for example. Um, but but our, our goal is how do we make scientific and clinical data more reproducible and start providing that mechanism for quality to be determined? And do you think that there's any sort of recognition or broader understanding in the healthcare market around that? Because I hear a lot of leaders that I speak with and they're like, we want to be more data driven, we want to be able to utilize data, but then they may not even, even if they have the best intentions, may not know where to start. And that can be a very frustrating situation to be in. Absolutely. It's hard. I I think everyone hopes there's a magic bullet, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's going to be this black box AI system that I suddenly throw in and it solves everything and no one has to do any work differently than how they were doing it before and we're just going to get answers now. The reality is that's not the case, right? You can take the biggest academic medical centers in the world 
right? And the ones that are have the highest output from a research perspective may likely don't even have all of their own patient data together in a way that their own researchers can use it. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because their mission, number one, is treat patients. Like, focus number two is research. And uh, that research can't become at odds of, of treating patients. And to get that data structured and usable and contextualized takes work. And it takes work from the experts who are treating the patients. So it's almost like this, this cultural change that has to come across these institutions uh, to be able to realize that if, if we want to do this, we got to do some work to get there. But once you get there, it's magic, right? That's that's when all of these these great things start happening, and you start moving forward more. And are you optimistic that that culture change can happen? Because I, I I know that you're relatively new to healthcare, but like the one thing I always hear from leaders is healthcare moves very slowly. It's very small C conservative, and this could be a, a huge jump in terms of you know how they structure and operate things. Yeah, I, I think if you can hit the incentives in the right way that you can actually get inroads a bit bit faster than, than you can otherwise. We've taken very strong stances. We own no data in any way, shape, or form. We're very transparent in terms of our business model. We charge for software and service to be able to do these things. Um, and then it, it takes time. You know, it does take time at each of these places to do it. But what's interesting is as soon as they start collaborating with someone else, you start getting this network effect very quickly of, oh, this is amazing. I, I can actually collaborate with the department next to me in the same institution, or I can department, uh, I could collaborate with a, another person at another institution in a way that we weren't able to before. And you start seeing that catalyze. I don't think it's going to be a sudden flip switching, though. Like, th- this takes time. This takes time. But I think a lot of the experimentation that's been done with bringing either AI systems in or whatever kind of new technological thing that's coming about is, is helping move the needle uh, sooner rather than later. It is interesting, though, because we also do this on the semiconductor side, right? And, and I think a lot about, you know, how this whole semiconductor industry is driven by Moore's Law uh, and it, it, it is doubling performance every couple of years uh, while maintaining cost or decreasing it. And I, I think it's kind of, it's interesting, it's mind-blowing uh, from just an economics perspective that they're able to do this, but if you imagine something like that applied to healthcare, you'd be in a very different space right now. But I don't think everyone's really rallied around that that common cause yet. Yeah, and I wonder if as we start of as healthcare starts to refocus in whatever a post-COVID or endemic COVID phase looks like, if that is something that starts to come to top of mind, I just don't know if that's the case yet. My my biggest fear is that that momentum that that came about with COVID is is maintained. You know, like if if we can continue that energy and that speed, there's a lot of amazing stuff that can happen. Um, I think that's the big question. Can can we still rally around these things as quickly as we did the last few years? Mm-hmm. I, our audience are primarily medical marketers representing you know, brands in the pharma, life sciences, and biotech space. And I know that might be adjacent to the work that you go into, but I think as it relates to data, I'm sure that they're wondering, okay, how can I support the mission of data and really relaying to, say, consumers or patients that we're really data-focused? And I'm curious just if you have any sort of thoughts on how to make data still center that conversation you know, on, say, marketing campaigns or something like that? You know, it, it depends on the, the audience of these campaigns. I think um, the 21st Century Cares Act is pretty interesting because it's empowering patients quite a bit. And, and these are folks that are also consumers who are clicking Ask App not to track, you mm-hmm. know, on their phones. Uh, I think there's more awareness uh, over how information is used and being able to emphasize that it's in the control of the patients is, is definitely a great step forward in any data initiative that one of these companies is wanting to, to move ahead with. Um, at the same time, you know, 
there are some really interesting mechanisms of increasing the, uh, the the pools of patient populations in clinical trials that I think needs to be focused on a bit more. And how that is emphasized to patients as well could be, could be really cool to see. Interesting. James, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and being able to offer these very unique insights compared to maybe some of the other voices that we hear from. We're going into 2023. It's only, I don't even know, somebody told me earlier it's a few like 50 days away or something, which is mind boggling. But, you know, what's next on your agenda as you're going to the new year? Maybe what are some topics that might be under the radar that leaders should be paying attention to going forward? I think this year has really been a shift in terms of uh, patient data privacy, in terms of how that's perceived. And I'm thrilled to see that the, the discussion around this has shifted more towards how are we ensuring patient privacy, patient data privacy. And I, I think there's more of an awareness that the business models that have been used thus far are not necessarily going to be sustainable and seeing what's happening just in the consumer space. And I hope as this continues, and, and I hope that you know, especially with new legislation that's coming in with 21st Century Cares Act, that we're going to start seeing more control and, and more awareness over what's being done because people are thrilled to, to have their data used if it's for something that's valuable and it's transparent. You don't want a spooky person in the background using it for something, something you don't know, right? And so my hope is that increase in transparency will really start catalyzing for the next year. Well, it's something we'll definitely be paying attention to. And certainly if there's any sort of changes down the line, I think we would all welcome a conversation to you know, get your analysis in terms of what that means. Yeah, I'd love it. Excellent. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Total pleasure. Really appreciate it. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.